Yo. Hey, hey, Taylor. How's it going? It's good. I'm uh, I'm recording. Are you recording? I am recording. Oh, your mic recording. Sound, your mic sounds great, dude. I got um, you know, I'm on the Amazon Prime, and I got all this XLR, this and that, and it came in just <laughs> in time. And I got a I got a dead mic. So oh uh, no. So I'm just like I'm I'm one step above just sticking some headphones into the mic jack. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I also did the XLR thing. Oh, that that sounds <laughs> sultry, dude. Listen to that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's my Barry White impression. Get those lows. Are, are you ready for this blast from the past? McMaster Carr, this is Taylor. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, listeners, Taylor was a McMaster Carr employee. Sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, we're casting our voices out into... Out into the void. I, I like this feeling, and I think it's it's good that we're doing it at night. That seems appropriate. Like going to the movies, you have to go at night. It is. Yes. Yeah. 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 Unless you're sneaking off at lunch, which maybe also is a good way to do a podcast. Oh man. Well, see, this is you should you should be able to know because you're like a Mr. Corporate. I I, <laughs> I I picture you like Mad Men drinking those tiny martinis, but many of them. <laughs> Sadly, I I don't do that i i sit in front of a computer in a hoodie and type things at people oh is it is it one of those uh those mythical hoodies you had to get on like a four month waiting list for (laughs) no what is what oh come on you've never heard of that that's like the classic (laughs) um silicon valley nonsense it's just you know somebody made a hoodie that wasn't manufactured you know by nine-year-old fingers and Apparently, there's a huge waiting list for it. I mean, it could be it's just one of those like BuzzFeed advertisements that, um, you know, where they're always showing you like the back of somebody's head with psoriasis on it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know if it's a for real ad or, or if it's like a, uh, you know, a clickbait or something. But yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to, we'll put it in the comments. I'll find yes. it. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So let's do this so, thing. What are we yeah, doing? Yeah. 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 I have a, I have a welcome sentence oh, bring it on mm-hmm. so yeah and and then i have like an intro of myself and then maybe you could intro yourself with like projects and other things you're working on yeah for and sure. then we can and then we can talk about challenge number one which which taylor and i know what it is but we have not yet seen what the other person has done True so. that. Mm-hmm. cool uh so our podcast is called the opposable thumbs podcast so welcome to that because you are now somehow listening to it um and opposable thumbs is a podcast where taylor and i tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks. And we talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Uh, and I think we're going to also be inviting a guest to come on and do a challenge with us mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and learn learn about what they do. And uh, that should throw some really great, weird monkey wrenches into the whole works. Um, my name is uh, Rob Ray. I uh, live in Los Angeles. Um, by day, as Taylor has referenced, I... I I have a job with a very uh, 21st century title, which is experience director. <laughs> uh, uh, yep. And um, I imagine your resume just being like an abstract painting. It, it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it works really great when you're trying to find a new job. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, experience director is sort of like part tech director and part creative director or something like that uh, at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. And I commute very far by bicycle to get there 
as it is in the uh what is it Silic- silicon beach which is almost like a redundant thing right like the beach already has a lot of silicon <laughs> but but uh, they could just call it the beach and it would be already chock full of silicon but um yeah so i do that and then i i run uh art space <clears throat> very casually called exoskeleton here in los angeles and i host very infrequent art openings and events there and uh i also have a newsletter called exoskeletal which is a sort of semi-frequent email blast that i do um to uh amuse myself and think through things and uh there'll be links to all that stuff so you could sign up for the newsletter if you want and whatnot but that's uh what's keeping me busy and i am a new ish dad so that's fun too so that's oh me. yeah yeah geez careful with that can of worms but we could yep. <laughs> <laughs> we could talk quite a bit about that too we should um should we just keep the recording going afterwards and we can release like um like uh, opposable thumbs just for parents <laughs> yeah 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 yes uh the yeah. um another yeah, thing to, to throw in there have you have you ever found the secret art installation that chris riley and i did in exoskeleton i have not nice um, yeah which is <laughs> is rad uh taylor oh. and our buddy chris riley who who actually uh may be joining us on this podcast it'd be great if he is he's yeah, he deep better. neck deep in, in teaching right now um uh uh created a a project inside of exoskeleton that I know nothing about, uh, which is my favorite art piece in the world. And I, it's fun to be <clears throat> near it uh, when I'm there and also have no idea what it is or where it is. And we should note that, um, that, I mean, exoskeleton is a house. Like, it <laughs> like is. it's not, yes. Yeah. It's not like a little Chelsea white cube or something. And it, and it has, you have um, residents too, right? Like co-owners or neighbors that live within. Yeah, totally. Yeah, my uh, my neighbors are rad people. We are uh, what they call tenants in common, which means uh, all of us are on the uh, what is that called uh, uh, mortgage? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Lease? Uh, no, not lease. Whatever that thing is, title. <laughs> and yes. uh, and uh, we share it together. And it's actually not a bad way to live your life if you live in any kind of urban area where uh, property is exorbitantly expensive. Yes. Jeez, man. Um, so there was the exoskeleton point. Also, before I forget, regarding your uh, your Silicon Beach comment, I was just listening <laughs> to Mark Maron's podcast about uh, he was interviewing Eugene Levy, who was talking about some uh, sports team called the uh, what was it? it was like the Tiger Cats or something like that. And they he had a friend who had joked that it was like calling a sports team the Monkey Apes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, was, I was just totally into that. Yeah, he lives just up the hill from me. I should that just Canadian. have him send you know. Barack Obama just on down and we exactly Barack Obama yeah, just to take take a left at that place where Rob was uh was attacked <laughs> that's right that's right that's right I got I got mugged there so yeah yeah, yeah make a left yeah, there. uh I have yet to be mugged although I feel like when it happens it's going to be a real bummer like yeah more yeah. on that later as it as you'll see in my bio I'm a a noted tall person I um, <laughs> he is I've I've met I've definitely talked to other dudes who are kind of nerdy like me and their tallness actually makes them a bigger target. And I don't know why that hasn't happened to me yet, but, but anyway. Um, okay. Well the, uh, so I'm Taylor and, um, 
I'm an artist and an educator. I'm, I'm teaching uh, art kind of generally, although that's been really up for debate of late. Um, I just went through the whole process of um, applying for a tenure, right? So this involves putting this giant binder together. And um, surprisingly, at many institutions, this is still a, a paper document. So here I am sort of pushing and pushing, trying to distill these ideas for this particular audience and then filtering back through paper, you know, as a media artist, and then also trying to think about, like, people interpreting the value of the arts through the lens of how we value the sciences. And there's just all these different layers of interpretation on the audience and everything. Um, so I'm really excited to do a project like this where I've really started thinking, you know, is the sort of the fine arts gallery really the best place for my work? And there's this sort of new audience that's growing out there that's really distributed and um, virtual, virtual in nature. So, you know, can publishing to GitHub or can, you know, working in a collaborative where there's no primary and secondary authorship and so forth, can that square with academia, which is, you know, very concerned with these things. So these are topics that are on the forefront of my mind. And so it's really nice just to sit down with, um, oh, I almost gave away the challenge, but with the materials <laughs> yet to be revealed, um, which are which are pretty, um, I would call them non-intellectual materials, Rob. <laughs> I mean, you know, d depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, so yeah. yeah, so it's it's kind of freeing to you know you say yes, I'm an artist and a designer and a DIY engineer and blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, you're really you're interested in hanging out with creative people and uh, drinking beer and you know forming objects that that seem to be um, interesting for some reason. So I feel like if we think something's cool then you know it's worth investigating and you get a bunch of smart people to investigate it that are good with their hands. And if that needs to be called making, because that's the term du jour, you know, whatever, that's fine with me. So all these, all this terminology, you know, this too shall pass. But at the end of the day, it's just um, interesting people, you know, sort of um, having a conversation by doing stuff as opposed to just by talking, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And there's certain structures, right, that's like, this creativity becomes a halftime show or this creativity becomes a podcast or this creativity becomes an academic talk. Yeah. Right. Totally. Well, you know, and, and here I am, I mean, I'll, it may sound like I'm dissing academia, but I have to, you know, I just talk like that now. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my wife, Audrey, sometimes she'll just have to say, Oh my God, you know, you're just, you're sort of in teaching mode right now when we're just trying to decide which place to order takeout from, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. let, let, let's assess the, uh, uh, the, could you, the, the could, draw, drawbacks of it. What, what's that? Could you <laughs> could you unpack that a little bit, Taylor? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can I can bring. I know. I mean, I know you have the academic stripes too, but you can bring the uh, business language, and I'll bring the uh, the pet the pedagogy. Yeah, yeah. I'll um, synergize, and you can uh, extrapolate. Yeah, exactly. I one one time I had this shining example, and this was before I knew about Reddit, but now I kind of crave to make my own subreddit for the first time where you do a really deep dive onto uh, children's movies, but like from a, um, you know, like a film theory perspective. And so <laughs> I had this really great uh, conversation with somebody on Facebook at some point about the most recent Toy Story movie. I can't even remember which number it was, but um, the idea that you, you, did you see this one, Rob? No. You're, you're, a, you're a new enough parent. It's actually, it's kind of a sad one too, but the um, there's this moment where Mr. Potato Head um, he needs to like slip under a door or something. So he sticks all of his parts onto a tortilla 
and then he's like scooting around and I think he actually the tortilla gets ripped in half and then the philosophical question posed is like is it still both Mr. Potato Head because <laughs> wow you know some of the pieces are in one half of the tortilla and some on the other but then I had this whole thing about like Buzz Lightyear you know, goes into all Spanish mode, but then he also be, has this sort of like childlike hyperdrive sexuality. And it was like the Latino mandingo, kind of, you know, kind of like, like forcing the, uh, the other to, to be hypersexualized. And uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know how I'm going to, I'm going to wrap that one up, Rob. So just moving right <laughs> along. Uh, yeah. Are you working I, on any, yeah. any other stuff? Yeah. So, so the, um, the thing I was doing a little write-up for for our um, our podcast website, there's this piece I've been working on for a couple of years. I already did the prototype called a controlled feeding status, and this is the actual term uh, that comes from some American prisons where if you commit certain you know misbehaviors that are specifically food-related, like stabbing a dude with a fork or something, they'll put you on this um, controlled feeding status where you only get a cake of Neutraloaf for every meal. For X amount of time, you know, so it's like the equivalent oh, of the solitary in, yeah. type punishment where you're taking some, you know, essential, um, uh, like you can survive in a solitary cell, but clearly it's psychologically traumatic. And this is a way to extend that to the eating process. Um, so there's actually, you can look at this court case and get the recipe out of the, um, the documents for the court case and make your own neutral loaf. So so, yeah, and, and neutral life is what they serve you, right? So, so I made this stuff, and then I also made a series of implements that are progressively harder to eat with. And I just got a grant through Columbia College um, to get those all cast in uh, sterling silver. So I'm working on that right now. So on the one hand, there's going to be like the fancy people of the first world have these sort of food problems that are related to um, too much to eat, you know, so you craft these like beautiful precious instruments that help you eat less um and then on the other side of that spectrum in american culture certainly you have the you know the way that the prison system drives um uh all of these uh, decisions we make regarding people uh, that don't have access well to their freedom and so forth and and the notion like whether or not a criminal um deserves these essential pleasures of eating something that actually doesn't just taste nasty uh, and so, so there's a there's a couple of topics wrapped in there, but um, oh, yeah. right now I'm really focused on the material, which has been really exciting to work with uh, with silver because I haven't done that before. Yeah, that's cool. Wild, wow. Hey, is that is that, that uh, like something the world would be seeing this year or summer or? Oh yeah, yeah. So I just um, I'm working with this great um, fabricator who also works at Columbia, uh, Megan. I'm gonna have to. I'll have to give her a shout out in the titles because I'm not sure how to uh, pronounce her last name, but uh, Megan uh, uh, is a really great uh, metalsmith. And so I talked oh, cool. to her and was able to um, hire her to uh, get these pieces put together. So the thing with Shapeways, and one thing I really hope to see in the future with these companies, right, is that they offer all of this um, these fabrication services and it's all sort of automated. But the second you know enough to get in there and say, hey, you know, I'm exceeding the envelope on your build area. You know, could you guys build me the two pieces of wax and then fuse them together before you do the silver lost wax casting? You know, you would hope they could do something like that. But but through emailing the company a couple times, they basically just said, like, 
you pick the options on the site and we either do that stuff or we don't, but there's literally no way, at least they claim, um, to reach out into the fabrication sector of the company and to make a specific request like, please don't polish the ends that need to get um, soldered together or whatever. And so, so I find that kind of interesting with that business model that, you know, it, cl it claims to be able to do anything, right? Well, you can print anything as long as it's in this build area and as long as the wire thickness is, you know, <laughs> exceeds the minimum size and so forth. So pretty quickly, you can run up against those limitations and it's pretty inflexible, I guess, just based on the business model. Should we uh, dive into challenge number one? Let's do it. I'm, I'm super right. excited to see what you came up with. And I'm also intimidated because when you were talking around it, I, I immediately started um, questioning if I put enough effort into mine. <laughs> oh, no. You, you, you'll find out otherwise when I, when, when I share mine. But uh, um, I had big dreams, and some of those dreams fell apart. <laughs> but our mm -hmm. challenge number one is paperclip and two-by-four. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget even who... I think I forget even how we came up with it. We sort of decided exactly about two weeks ago, maybe slightly less than two weeks ago, which is mm -hmm. sort of the time that we've decided to give ourselves to work on a project. Uh, we sort of kicked around like not that many ideas, like maybe two or three, and we landed on paperclip and two by four. Do you remember how we did that? Uh, I think what we're going to do as we're moving forwards is try to evolve towards. Um, it's it's this classic teaching thing, right? Like, don't think of the limitations as a cage that binds. Think of it as a structure to build upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yep. And so, yep. you know, it has to be it has to be limited enough and not too limited. So I think at some point you had you had pitched, you know, a two by four project, which is a classic thing, right? Like you'll find on instructables make a full chair out of one two by four or whatever. Totally. Uh, and yep. so the I think the addition of the paper clip in my mind was here's two things that are so different in scale and material. So making something where both of those elements seemed completely necessary was, was the challenge to me. Yeah. And I, that totally came, came back at me a number of times being like, dang it, one is really big and one is really small. And like, what is, what does that mean? Like, what is, which one's the limit, you know? Right. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, so 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 uh, before we do that, so we mm -hmm. haven't seen one another's work at all. We don't know what the other person's doing, mm -hmm. and we're gonna share it real time. Uh, we'll be sending one another photos over our like little Slack channel, probably, and so we can see it, and then we'll post those photos, of course, uh, online so people can see those in the show notes. Um, so, but but n we've been working for two weeks. Uh, it's actually kind of hard, but we've been working for two weeks without telling one another what we're doing. And then uh, now we're going to share it. Uh, and and it, if you want to go first too, that, that would be great. Yeah, so um, just first to talk about some of the things I was thinking about. Um, initially, I'd been thinking a bunch about uh, temporary services, right? Because um, Angelo just passed away. I don't know, mm -hmm. Rob, I assume you know this story. But for those who don't, temporary services are great. At this point, an international collaborative, but it started as a bunch of folks in Chicago and uh, they do these awesome sort of social action um, performance works and a bunch of print publication and things like that. So uh, one of their members, what it was Mark, right? Was communicating primarily with Angelo. 
I think of it that way. I'm not sure exactly, but that's in my head. That's okay. It seems like well, it was so, fun. I, so I want to speak speak for these dudes, but but uh, in some way, the collaborative or perhaps Mark specifically were um, uh, had this um, uh, pen pal relationship with this dude that was in jail, and they wanted to allow him to be anonymous. But the basic information was that he was you know in jail for a long time, and I believe on the West Coast, I believe California, and so. Um, you know, they were pretty studious about never saying exactly what he did, but he was also a pretty great drafts person. And so he started sending out these great drawings, which I believe he was tech, it was technically illegal. He was not allowed to do, but he was, he would send out the dimensions of his cell and then start to detail, you know, this is what a tattoo gun looks like and all that stuff. So, so temporary services had all of these um, objects rebuilt in the material appropriate fashion on the outside. And they, they actually got a whole um, full-size cell going that was a traveling exhibit I, I saw it up at mass mocha and mm -hmm. a really great project um so i was kind of thinking about that so at first i was thinking maybe i would use like a two by four to make a device that you could use to blow out circuits <laughs> so like to have you know mm -hmm. two little um, paper clips nailed to the end and then maybe wrap the whole thing in electrical tape and then jam it into a socket um I thought that was probably a bad, a bad idea because I wasn't sure exactly how that was going to go. So I kind of put that one to side. But, but I, I was thinking about Angelo and then the um, the low culture moment I was thinking about. I think one of the um, Tales from the Crypt or something, there's like a voodoo doll that comes back to life and sticks paper clips into sockets to uh, increase the horror. But anyway, so so I, that was kind of where I started. And then where I got to after that came from a um, a discussion that my... Uh, grad students were having, so I'm teaching this half-grad, half-undergrad class at Columbia College on the topic of CNC milling, and um, as a focus for our conversations, I'm using this really excellent piece, and I can't believe I didn't know about this till this year, but it's a Garnet Hertz's uh, Critical Making series, which I think is at least three years old at this point. So the, uh, the history goes that Matt Ratto, who's working up in Canada, starts using this term critical making, I think as early as like 2007, but he's talking about it and says, um, when he talks about it, he says, you know, critical thinking doesn't sound strange, but critical making kind of, um, you know, tri trips you up a little bit because it's less, uh, it just makes less sense in common language. And so that got um, Matt Ratto working out these uh, workshops where people are working with Arduino and simple electronics in their hands as a way of thinking by, uh, by doing and then Garnet Hertz comes by later and releases this set of sort of 10 punk rock style zines where he interviews Natalie Jeremijenko and, you know, all these sort of folks from the scene, but all the way from high to low. So he, you know, talks to survival research labs and he talks to the TV be gone guy. And there's a lot of discussion, like critique about Maker Faire and its acceptance of DARPA funding and all that. So, so, so one of the pieces in there, my grad student uh, brought in, to talk about had to do with um, this notion of uh, diegetic prototypes. Have you run into this before, Rob? No. Uh, so, so diegetic, um, the place where I'd encountered the term before, it had to do with whether or not sound is originating from a direct source within a movie, right? So if there's somebody driving in a car, you know how they often do that thing with the credits where the credits will have a background track and then the guy pulls up in the car and turns off the radio and then the sound actually stops, right? So it, it's sort of a, a transfer from the sound being a fictional movie element to a concrete movie element. When um, yeah, yeah, I think of like Reservoir Dogs, maybe or something like that. Yeah, 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 totally. I, that's exactly what I had in my mind yep. too. So I always forget 
which one is diegetic and which one's non-diegetic. <laughs> I believe non-diegetic, it means it doesn't appear to have an origin within the fictional space, but I don't know. Uh, so we can Wikipedia that. But So anyway, mm. there's this uh, little tiny essay within the critical making structure, um, and I'm forgetting the author's name right now, but he's talking about these diegetic prototypes or these ideas for technology that are really only existing in the context of fiction, and that how eventually those sort of um, you know, turn the loop and start, they kind of wag the dog, right, and start informing where technology will go later. So I think a lot of people credit Star Trek, for example, as being one of the big drivers of some technologies, like the communicator, um, or being such a bad um, true fan here, but, the, you know, the little the medical thingies, mm. <laughs> tricorders. Oh, oh yeah, man. right. Think of, think of the hate mail, Rob. Uh, so... You know, the fact that, and sure enough, we don't have, you know, warp speed yet or any of that stuff, but, but <laughs> that you, you start from a lot of fiction and then that winds up driving reality to a certain extent. So I wound up making this prototype. Um, and right now, um, we might have to edit a little bit of this rub. I'm not on the Slack channel. I'm forgetting our address for it. Okay, so for my, my actual prototype, uh, step one is I decided to cheat almost immediately. And uh, the reason for that was my kid was sleeping in the other room, and I realized mm -hmm. that I didn't have any paper clips in my uh, studio. <laughs> so I did have two by fours. And so here, um, I gotta plug this in. So here's my two by four, my wired two by four. It's a little chunk, like about 18 inches long. And then um, what I got interested in with this diegetic prototype thing is um, what would happen if I started looking at inexpensive materials as I often do, like this 2x4, and one of its most interesting characteristics is the knots in its surface, right? So the, um, uh, the fact that you usually pick wood so that it doesn't have knots because they're effectively mm. flaws, I wanted to sort of pick at a little bit. So here, if I press on this knot, are you able to see that there, Rev? Totally, yeah. So the um, the knot now has a, a capacitive touch sensor in it, uh, which is the same um, touch sensitivity that's used by touchscreen phones. Yeah. And um, and I've made some work, you know, dealing with human-computer interactive devices in the past, so I was interested in, like, what if instead of just taking a plastic mold and being able to blow, you know, whatever shape you wanted, which can be kind of boring, because if you can do absolutely anything, well, then, you know, what do you do, Right. So mm -hmm. I thought it would be kind of cool if I if I were to pick up really gnarly, weird, um, sort of flawed pieces of material and to turn those into human-computer interface devices, uh, where you would um, use those flaws as the um, as the as the moments of input. So that's my project. That's awesome! Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's so it's um, that's really wow. That's great. Yeah, that's really I really like that idea of like taking the thing that people want to get rid of and sort of trying to find a way it, cause it's like, you know, like, like the knot, especially right. Like in wood, it's the thing that everyone's eye kind of naturally goes to right away. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's actually, you know, UX folks spend a lot of time thinking through those issues and, uh, by UX, I mean, oh, come user on. Experience. Dro drop some terminology, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, then, because this is my uh, area. I'm really curious. A, a, a B. 
you know, just like that they, it's really cool to take something that a lot of maybe, uh, you know, fine woodworkers or something try to not er- erase is maybe too strong a word, but, but deflect or something, right? Like, like that you are sort of striving for this kind of perfection in the wood uh-huh, and to take those yeah. imperfections that are, are, are sort of, uh, uh, millions of years of genetics have tuned us into right to sort of always be looking for imperfections to sort of un- better understand our world and question our safety in the world yeah, searching sort for of patterns like if a, yeah. if a uh-huh. you know i always think of like if a stick if a stick breaks behind you like everyone knows what that is and hears it turns around you know kind of thing so yeah that's really right. that's really right mm-hmm. and so I, I just want to indicate that all i really have at least visually is a two by four Nothing special at all, and then it has a little um, LED inserted immediately above one of the um, uh, prominent knots in the surface, so that um, whenever you make contact with your finger, it goes off. Now, the cheating I alluded to before is I did I already say I used a coat hanger? <laughs> uh, so no, I imagine no. it could be reproduced. Uh, yeah, yeah. So all, all I had that was. Um, uh, paperclip like was a coat hanger which is just embedded you know it's a hole drilled really close to the surface to give oh. the feet so the field doesn't have to do so much work right so it's just just underneath the knot um but i imagine so basically i'm going to provide you know all of the stuff to get somebody to the point where they could now do something interesting with this so you know throw it up on github uh so here's the code base in arduino here's the there's a very simple wiring diagram that just involves one like one meg resistor that's about it um yeah so then hopefully if somebody's interested they could grab that and then go ahead and try to realize the the promise of that kind of idea but this is certainly a prototype that's great yeah yeah that's really cool cool um yeah i can i can jump in on mine if you want do it yes yeah cool so uh, it was so rad that you brought up the temporary services and angelo collaboration that was my literally second thing i wrote down after Whoa. digging into this topic a little bit yeah uh-huh. um i mean that show in 2002, I think it was, was in Chicago. And that show like blew me away. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll put a link to temporaryservices.org in the show notes. Um, the Prisoner's Invention book has been out of print for a long time and the book is amazing. Uh, but there's tons of uh, blog posts and all sorts of uh, stuff online that you can see this stuff. And, and some of the things that the prisoners make in prison as sort of contraband items are like amazing. They're like uh, a lot of like cigarette lighters made out of um, like paper clips. And, and that's sort of how I got, got to that point too. I was just like, oh, thinking for through it. And I was, yeah. Good like paper clips are, are a big uh, component in a lot of those works. Um, so yeah, that, that I was like totally on that track for a while. And, um, and uh, let me send you my link. I'll just send it over email if that works for you. Mm-hmm. I'm up on Slack too. If you want to do that. Oh, you are. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. Slack it to you. Cool. Slack it to me. Yeah, this is like we're we're keeping it so new media here. Okay. Also, I'm wondering, should we just do um, ads for um, uh, postoffice.com or, or stamps.com <laughs> just until they start paying us? <laughs> we, you know, I, yeah, we should definitely do stamps.com and, and, um, uh, uh, blue apron and, uh, Squarespace. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'll yeah. be beautiful, Rob. Yep. <laughs> oh man, this is, um, this is great. So why don't I describe what I'm seeing? 
Yeah, great. Cool. Uh, so first of all, you have a, a really moody photograph, which I think matches <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the nature of the content. Uh, but we've got lock picks that are crafted from um, uh, two by four chunks that are forming the, uh, the handle. So we have a tension wrench. Uh, a half ball and a hook and and apart from the i've been looking at this just a little bit um but i don't know much about lock sport as the uh as the uh, folks call it i believe so so yeah. fill us in yeah so i um i uh so <laughs> i'll admit that i originally uh well so i at first i was like i'm going to just investigate the paperclip and the paperclip is um in my opinion like fairly junky metal right like Uh it's just Uh not good metal but it has certain properties it's very bendy but somewhat stiff in this way that like if you bend it a certain way can hold some papers together and that's really cool um but then you kind of dig into like okay what what are things in the world made of wire right like and i had like uh like a whisk like a kitchen whisk and clay carving tools and then i got into looking thinking about like a compass needle and could you magnetize a wire or something and I got into all sorts of other places. And I, I'll tell you where I went first. And where I went first is is a really big failure on my part. But the first thing I wanted to make was this. Uh, they sell them online. And my partner in crime, Jen, has one. Um, and it's called a handheld sewing machine. It's this very small stapler-looking thing that has yeah, a sewing totally. needle. And, uh, so I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to totally make that. And I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to, and then I got to thinking like, okay, well, a paperclip doesn't act as a spring very well because it's quite soft, right? Like you squeeze it and it sort of stays squeezed. Um, Mm -hmm. so I got to looking online and I found this cool post by this website called the naked scientist on stiffening paperclips. It's called stiffening paperclips metallurgy in the kitchen. Um, and they explain the differences between like work hardening, which is like just bending something back and back and forth. And that makes it more stiff, which is something I had never even thought of before. I had sort of experienced it. Yeah. I've only ever experienced breakage when that happens. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. Like I, I think it, and they go, they have all sorts of great like illustrations and stuff that sort of show how bending a paper clip makes it more stiff through Mm -hmm. work hardening and then annealing, right. Which is like heating it up very hot and then annealing and quenching, which is, you know, you heat it up super hot and then you quench it in cold water or oil or something, which is sort of like a blacksmith kind of move. And so I did some experiments with annealing and quenching, which would make the stiffest result. And that's what I did do with the lock picks. Uh, mm-hmm. If you zoom in on the <laughs> nice. image, you'll see they look kind of crispy because I, yeah, because I, I took a, <laughs> Whoa, a map, gas, map gas torch and heated them up and then quenched them in cold water. Um, and uh, so I was really into that and I was going to make this and so i made a kind of sewing needle and i got going but then i realized a super huge flaw and this is like a great lesson it's like always deeply investigate the thing you want to emulate before you just dive in and do it because Uh you're going to run into something that is a surprise and what i had totally forgotten is there's a magical component of most sewing machines that is not visible and the that bobbin? is the bobbin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you yeah. go, dude. Yeah. The bobbin is this magical, wondrous thing that you don't see in a sewing machine that actually makes everything awesome. Mm-hmm. And it's this great mechanical. I found an amazing animated GIF of how a bobbin works, and I'll post I it was in the show notes. just Googling the GIF put on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is, is, it the, is it the pink one? 
It's, I think this it, one is like hand drawn, kind of. There's uh, probably a lot of them. Maybe there's a couple. But of them, yeah, yeah. There. I mean, the bobbin is super rad. Like, as if you're gonna nerd out on a machine thing, the bobbin is a great uh, thing to dig into. Yeah. Anyway, I realized quickly. I cannot pull that off with just paperclip. <laughs> and so uh, I, I stared down failure on my first attempt at making something awesome with a paperclip and a two by four. And then I, and then I decided, okay, I'm going to make, go for something simpler and actually ironically, right. I mean, I think this is part of the making stuff in the world is you think like, Oh, even the simple, the simple thing. And then you're like, Oh, actually this is also really hard. So, Mm -hmm. so I did make a tension wrench and a half ball and, uh, uh, a, um, uh, uh, hook. Uh, and I used, uh, there's this YouTube channel just called read, which I really like. And it's his channel of lock picking. And it was very inspiring. And he has a, uh, uh, a video on homemade lock picks. And I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Um, it's really cool and simple. He doesn't show how to make lockpicks, but he shows off the ones he's made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, uh, so I will also admit, like I have been trying to pick a lock. I spent <laughs> about 30 minutes so far trying to pick a lock with these lockpicks and I have not succeeded. And I will update online if I ever do actually succeed. And I'm going to try to the point of breakage with these things to see if it works. I also, um, am, want to make a set of picks actually also that have not been annealed and quenched to see if um mm-hmm. you know like Science, does one br- does one break sooner than the other yeah yeah right exactly so we'll see but that's um yeah that's what i made and in the in the spirit of time that's i'll i'll, I'll leave the the summary at that and i'll put and i'll post the photos and and i'll post we could post like an animated gif of taylor's or a video or something up as well and we uh, admittedly haven't quite figured out how that's going to work uh but if you go to uh, opposablepodcast.com uh, you will get to the Opposable Thumbs podcast website and you will see all of this glorious stuff on the website yeah the um, warts and all baby I mean I mean, maybe it sounds like we might have one minute of super boring getting things wrong to edit out but I don't know maybe we should leave it in maybe we should add boring stuff yeah <laughs> it's what all the podcasts are doing is adding boring stuff deconstructed man it's the new thing yeah have you have you ever uh picked a lock with an actual with a non-diy set i have not and i've always wanted to acquire set. and just a caveat that uh in many states in this here united states owning or or transporting or anything a set of lock picks could actually get you arrested or whatever so really uh, yeah I, th- I i think there's quite a bit of you could really get into some trouble with that so before you make a set think about think about Think about it before you take them out of your house. But um, um, I think you have to probably be like some sort of locksmith, care, you know, mm. license or something. But um, I've always wanted to own a set. I've always thought about owning a set. I never have. And because they always are sort of like, well, you know, I think I could make a set. So then at least I sort of scratched that itch with this project and maybe maybe they'll actually work. I think if I recall, I've been following some lockpick stuff just for fun and Sparrows is a... Uh company that seems to be popular i don't know anything oh, cool. about it but but it, it would be in the interest of science i would be curious if, for you to start with a professional one just so that you yeah. can verify it's not error exists between steering column and seat if you know what i'm saying. totally yeah yeah and i also have like zero experience it's like a hundred percent of a not like when you're a hundred percent novice everything is a 
possible problem. It's like your tools yeah. could be the problem. The tool, yeah. like you're the problem, everything. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's like a gradual whittle, whittling away of, of ignorance, right. That we all do when we are uh-huh. trying to figure something out. Now, our next podcast will be called the ignorance whittler. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have uh, a few links of things that I sort of jotted down or mm-hmm. were into over the past two weeks. Do you have anything, Taylor, that you have or or I can dive in on my list or, or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to go back. and So I think in keeping with my uh, lecture habits, which tend to be more off the cuff than not, um, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I don't really know what will be said until it comes out and, uh, which, which is both um, uh, liberating and um, gets me in trouble. <laughs> the, uh, so I'll have to think back on what all I had, but certainly I would link to um, Garnet Hertz's piece, and then um, I'll, I'll just have to go back and <laughs> figure out what I talked about. But yeah, I'll, I'll shoot all that stuff up there. Yeah, cool. I have a couple of things that I wrote down that I'll just uh, very quickly mention. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I use all the time, and I... I kind of bought them thinking like I'm never going to use these. Why am I doing this? Is um, DeWalt makes a set of very small trigger clamps. Um, when I think right. of a trigger clamp, I think of like a one that's probably 20 inches long or right. 24 inches long or even like five feet long. And they're mm-hmm. the, you know I think most people have one in their shop where you sort of squeeze the trigger over and over and over, and the clamp gets gradually tighter, tighter, and tighter. Um, I bought a set of small dewalt small trigger clamps i'm sure other companies make them as well but i don't have those they're about five bucks a piece and i use them a ton on on this and everything else just to like clamp small pieces of wood together and it's really Mm -hmm. nice i mean i think most trigger clamps are kind of horsey unless you're doing cabinet work or something kind of like that you know um i'm not familiar uh, with your usage of the term horsey Horse like like t- too big or like in okay. in the way maybe <laughs> sure. more than than helpful kind of thing. Is, um, that, a, is that a Florida thing? It probably is. Horsey. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I literally have never encountered that. Okay, so yeah, I yeah. learned something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, um, I'll uh, uh make a link to those in show notes. But they're they're surprisingly handy, and I think one thing I like about them the most is because they're trigger clamps you can actually adjust the pressure on them in a fairly precise way. Unlike, mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people have the kind of spring clamps that are almost like a giant clothespin that you squeeze with your hand mm-hmm. to clamp two things together. And they, they make those in different, like small, medium and kind of heavy, you know, tension, like, like lots of pressure or maybe not lots of pressure. But what's nice about the squeeze clamp is you can sort of adjust, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you sort of are like, Oh, this wood is really getting pressed together and all the gl- glue is oozing out. I'll, I'll let off the pressure and, it's really handy. Anyway, it's a really small, weird tool, but that's kind of boring. But um, I, I was, I'm always surprised at how much I use them. Um, the other thing is, is this is just a shout out to a podcast um, that I'm digging called Containers. Uh, it's an eight part series hosted by Alexis Madrigal, uh, who's an interesting uh, editor for uh, F- the Fusion website, and I get the Fusion newsletter. Um, he uses the Oakland seaport to talk about like globalization and immigration and crime and lots of other stuff. Uh, it's a cool model for telling a story, like kind of picking a location and digging into it and kind of extrapolating the story outward from it. Um, there's another podcast called crime town. That's kind of the same thing. Oh yeah. Crime uh, town. I know that one. 
It's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's about Providence, Rhode Island's sort of organized crime and corruption world. It's a Gimlet Media pod- podcast. For like a whole year, right? And then they're going to pick other cities, supposedly. That was, that's my understanding, too. Yeah, it's like they're on Rhode Island right now. And um, it, then they will, will go to something else. It's really great. And, you know, like The Wire, right, is a, another kind of thing where it's like picking a, a city like Baltimore uh-huh. and sort of uh-huh. using that as a way to dig into stuff. Anyway, so that's some stuff I'm into. Um I did see this one movie that I'll quickly mention called How to Draw a Bunny. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's called a, a Ray Johnson Portrait. It was right. done in 2002. I don't know anything about Ray Johnson except for what I saw in this film. It was just like in my Netflix queue and I decided to watch it on the plane uh, the other day. And um, he was like a New York kind of avant-garde art scene guy. But what was really kind of interesting and cool about him is he was this really wacky guy. He made lots of collage art and stuff and he sent a lot of art through the mail, which I really like mm-hmm. um but i think the thing that's interesting is he sort of lived this like deeply artistic life in a way that i think i myself sort of always fancied myself living like when i was younger in a way uh or something like when you sort of think of like who who an artist is or like a new york artist is there's these sort of personas or something and he was like really just truly that and i thought that was really cool that they sort of dig into who is this person really you know or whatever and and um he's just like very deeply engaged with the process of looking at pieces of the world and kind of reassembling them through collage and sort of changing the way maybe we look at stuff especially like advertising or magazine advertisements and Mm -hmm. stuff so anyway uh his life is kind of inspiring but also tragic and the documentary is worth watching it's kind of low budget but but really great. And it's on DVD and Netflix. So anyway, that's uh, some stuff I checked out. So now I understand what you were looking for link wise and so on. So one thing I would recommend for those who haven't checked it out yet is um, yeah. AliExpress. Have you gotten into AliExpress oh, yeah. yet? Yeah. So I the, have maybe ordered mm-hmm. one thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty specific. I mean, so my understanding is that Alibaba was like the Amazon to Asia. And then AliExpress is a, a specific concerted effort on the part of the company to reach out to the English-speaking world. Yep. Um, and I wonder if even Amazon has an interest in them now. I don't know. But the so it's it's a way for individuals to get in touch with, you know, the the Shenzhen market and all that. So um, so one thing that enabled my project because you know I mean I have a bunch of Arduinos sitting around and LEDs and whatnot, but. One thing I always find myself running out of is resistors, because um, you know if you if you ever experience the pain, I think Radio Shack just went bankrupt for the 80th time today. I, I know it did, right. yeah. but um, yeah. I you know I remember for a while you could go in and say, "Can I take a look at the electronics cabinet?" and they'd let you into the back room because they never used it anymore. <laughs> um, but then you would buy you know five resistors for, for five dollars or whatever. So so I finally got onto AliExpress and ordered a combo pack of common resistor values from like, you know, whatever it was, 16 ohms all the way up to 10 megs or something. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it was really cheap. It took a long time to get here. But now that I have them finally graded out, it makes projects like this a lot more doable um, for a non sort of conventionally trained ee guy i mean i'm just somebody that kind of knows how to put stuff together um having that around is you know it i I went for far too long ordering um resistors on a project by project basis 
Um, the other funny thing about them, though, is that when they showed up, they were all blue. <laughs> so they didn't wow. have any color coding. Um, and fortunately, the guy that sent them to me, um, the guy that sent them to me did write the values on the little paper strip that was holding them all together. I mean, these are through-hole uh, units. Yep. Yep, but um, pr- pretty funny that once they once they come detached from the through hole, either you're, um, you know, measuring every single one with the uh, ohmmeter, or you're just tossing them out. Wow, yeah, yeah, that's that's a classic AliExpress thing. But I mean, AliExpress is yeah. I've only I think maybe ordered like a weird cable or something on there. And mm-hmm. even if you don't have anything to buy, just searching for various things on AliExpress is very interesting. Yeah, like like human hair and just yep. crazy <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. Who doesn't need some human hair? I'm telling you. And then and they like, I think they have it all graded out by like the ethnicity of the person and all wow. yeah, crazy. And stuff. like like probably like, you know, 50 kilo bundles or something. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I think there's a temple in India, if I'm not mistaken, where you shave your head as a um a way to, um, you know, cast off, um, self-regard or way. I'm, I'm not coming up with the term correctly, but then like the temple makes money by se- by selling, you know, metric tons of this luxurious Indian hair or something. Incredible. Wow. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the next project should be hair. Hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, I have a few just, um, sort of housekeeping items and sort of like we're a new podcast. So I wanted to talk to mm-hmm. people a little bit mm-hmm. just about some various things and then um and then we'll get on to the next challenge yeah okay cool um so it's just a couple of paragraphs and uh oh by the way you can um get to all this stuff at opposablepodcast.com we couldn't get opposablethumbs.com because what domain names are in the world are left anymore um uh-huh. you know you can uh subscribe to opposable thumbs with itunes or overcast or whatever your favorite podcast app uh is uh, we'll have all that stuff up. Um, if you just search inside those applications for opposable thumbs, we should come up and be close. Uh, or you can just go to opposablepodcast.com and listen directly on the site uh, on your web browser in like a separate tab while you're at your computer doing something else. Uh, and you can check out show notes and transcripts and other uh, past episodes there. This is where I tell you we have a Patreon, like you and all the rest of your other creative weirdo friends and everybody else we have a patreon page uh link on the website as well we would love for you to become a patron of the opposable thumbs podcast uh you can go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us we have a few sponsorship tiers there that you can um do to check us out i think it's going to be three tiers uh and the highest tier which is maybe 10 bucks a month or something uh will we will read your name aloud on the podcast thanking you for that um, and so you could maybe use that to share something that you're doing with the world and we'll um, tell people about it. Uh, we have recurring web hosting fees and the biggest thing actually is transcription costs. Transcriptions are quite expensive to do, sadly. Um, but um, I, I feel pretty passionate about doing transcriptions because a lot of people, including myself, uh, don't hear so well. Uh, and so we want to post a transcript about you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's not, I, I think, Jen, I, you know, it's like your partner when they ask you, like, when, why do you say what all the time? <laughs> like, <laughs> you realize, like, oh. And then, like, genetically, I think, you know, uh, I think I'm destined to be wearing at least one, if not two, hearing aids. Um, but anyway, I, I think posting a transcript, you know, so folks who are hard of hearing or deaf can enjoy our podcast. 
And if you'd like to read the podcast there, you can instead of listening or scan the transcript, which some people do. Or you could share the transcript with someone who you know would enjoy it. Uh, but it does cost money for every single episode. And it's it's not like $5. It's like f- between 30 and $70. So mm. uh, it's a lot of money um, to do well. Uh, but we would like to be able to provide that if we, if at all possible, but that requires, um, your help with a little bit of money to make that happen. Um, we will be using Amazon affiliate links and these are always a little bit weird on the internet. People always think like, what are you doing? Just creating content so you can make money or something. Uh, we won't be doing that. Uh, most people who run Amazon affiliate links make very little, but it is a kind of nice tip jar kind of thing. Right. So if, you see something that we link to, like we'll link to these DeWalt squeeze clips or whatever, probably to the Amazon affiliate link. You buy them through Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything more, uh, but it does kick a little bit of money back to us. And then we can, you know, host the site and, and Taylor and I can have a beer with your Amazon affiliate link money <laughs> next time we see one another. Uh, so if you'd like to support us, uh, check out some of the links of things that we love. You can buy something over in Amazon and it helps out the podcast. Um, we will not be getting rich off your affiliate links. We promise. Um, you, know, you know, I also wonder, um, have you ever seen that? Uh, I think there's a YouTube series where there are these guys where people can send in any material and they will skate it. I think this would be up your yes. alley, Rob. <laughs> yes. And so one of them was like a like a plate glass skateboard. <laughs> yeah, it's called You You Build It, We Skate It, right? right something like that, yeah. But the, yeah um, and it's, oh, yeah, yeah, it's so good. So, so you, I mean, you, you have the original street cred with skateboarding. I was, I had the, um, lime green skateboard that was never used. Um, but you, you actually did the things, but, but anyway, I I would imagine that, um, if people were interested in sending us materials, that could be another interesting way to involve our audience. So we'll have to discuss like formalizing that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. That sounds Mm -hmm. rad. Uh, so, uh, one quick note also, because I live in the world of internet nerds and more and more, I think we're all becoming internet nerds because everyone now is wondering what the heck people are doing with our browsing data and stuff. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit about tech platforms and tracking and stuff, just so you know where we're coming from and everything's on the up and up. Uh, we use the mighty Dan Benjamin's fireside, uh, podcasting platform to host our podcast and website. Um, we're going to use Patreon to accept donations. We use Gmail. Oh, my cat just stepped on the air conditioner and turned it on. <laughs> One sec. There we go. Thanks. <laughs> my cat is named Pancake, so if you hear me use the word Pancake, I'm talking about a cat. Um, no, I just had my baby monitor on, I realized, for this entire thing until like the last 10 <laughs> minutes. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, a uh, dirty. Speaking of, speaking of technology platforms and tracking... Yeah, uh, t- Taylor stocks his own child with a baby monitor. Um, <laughs> I actually, actually made a Raspberry Pi enabled uh, baby monitor that can, uh, with night vision. But more on oh, that yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah, I saw that on your site. It's it's that's super cool. It's got lots of cool. It looks like I think IR LEDs maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice. Also, I think purchased through Alibaba, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, nice. It's all coming full circle. So we do have a Gmail account for our email, and we are going to use Mailchimp for our very brief newsletter you can sign up for our our very brief and infrequent newsletter on the website uh we do use google analytics on our site just to understand how many people are coming but we don't track you in any other way and we don't plan on tracking you in any other way uh if you'd like to visit our site without being tracked by google analytics uh, we recommend visiting the site using a private or incognito browser window 
Um, one last thing before we dive into the next challenge is just quickly, I want to talk about code of conduct. Code of conduct is a thing that a lot of people are thinking about more on internet chat rooms, uh, or, you know, uh, things like Reddit or whatever, but also in conferences. Um, so I just wanted to tell you where we're coming from. Uh, our podcast is, you know, dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, that's a big one, <laughs> or religion. Uh, we don't tolerate harassment in any form. Our overall belief is that a mutual respect and voices from all walks of life must be heard to create a balanced, interesting, and inspiring world. We want to hear from you, and we want all of you to we want to see what inspiring, awesome things you're up to. We want to have conversations with all of you, but at the same time, like the internet is a gross place for a lot of people. And like, it would be, it's our responsibility really to try to make it fun for everyone, regardless of who you are. And we want to welcome you no matter what your background is. And we want to actively support an inclusive environment. We want you to be a part of it. So that's it. Mm -hmm. So, so, a, a real world example of this that I thought was interesting, and also some of the um, the problematic aspects about inclusivity, like trying to navigate how to do it without it like um, sort of going full circle and preventing other kinds of engagement. Yeah, um, there was a, a friend of mine, uh, Bess Williamson, works in disability um, design in a, at the Art Institute mm. of Chicago. And she was posting about how, so you know how everybody feels free to hate Comic Sans, you know, um, <laughs> like, like there's so few things like, like we can hate Nazis and zombies. So that's why uh -huh. it's okay to you know kill them horribly in, in movies. But Comic Sans, she was saying is actually, apparently it's one of the few fonts that's really useful for um, people with uh, dyslexia. Wow. And I think the reason for that is that there's so maybe there's one pair, but there's so few letters that are just flipped. So yeah. in almost every uh -huh. other font, you have a lot of mirrored letters, and that's what causes you know particular problems for the dyslexic. And so, so that that's this interesting point where I'm still not entirely convinced that I can't hate Comic Sans. Like it, uh -huh. like it, um, uh -huh. it it grows my appreciation for the surprising benefits that's something that you sort of associate with low culture. You think, oh, yeah. wow, wow, you know, this, because I think it's an accident, right? I don't think that Comic Sans was developed for that reason in mind. Right. And so I think as we move forward, I want to continue to wrestle with this where it's not accessibility at all costs. Um, like, as long as that doesn't be, it, my perspective on it is that it's not, a non-critical thing to offer, you know what I mean? And then yep. it needs to be returned to constantly in part because like you did a great job listing all of these areas that may not have been considered before, such as body size. Yeah. But you know, who's to know what the next area is. Yeah. So you, you keep that critical conversation going both to make sure it's inclusive and also to make sure it doesn't become kind of ossified in its rightness. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, and that it's not really about... I mean, I, I try to think of it as it's like... It's not a set of rules, it's a set of questions, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you don't, mm -hmm. you don't like, say, like, we're, we're not doing this, we're not doing this, we're not doing this. It's like, what are we... What questions are we asking to sort of be like, okay, how are we thinking about our world 
differently as we know more about it. You know, I think it's like a, it's also a thing of just like, I feel like as I get older and older as an adult, like uh-huh. it's kind of, it's kind of the job of adults to push themselves outside of like what they know instead of just codifying what they know. And to me, like, think like that comic sans is a perfect example it's like now it's like oh it's kind of on me to be like oh i can't just be a jerk about comic sans because i it doesn't like (laughs) aspire to be futura or whatever you know so yeah that's cool you know i was on the train in chicago this week and there was an ad for a free i think it was free stdtest.org and it was um graphic designed like pokemon Mm, and wow I've still never played Pokemon. I know enough about it to recognize the visual styling of the font and, and the little ball and so forth. But I thought, dude, if they're if they're marketing STD tests to a generation younger than me, then I am then I am truly old. Yep, <laughs> it, it, it has arrived. <laughs> we've we've crossed the threshold for sure. <laughs> but it, uh, based yeah the uh, the your whole thing about questions not statements you are truly an experienced director right oh there, yes baby. thank you thank you i will uh put that in my own self-evaluation <laughs> <laughs> i will i will credit you though also indeed don't worry yeah. about it yeah <laughs> All uh right. do we yeah do the it? next yeah the next challenge so are we are we announcing the challenge now do we do we have one uh i don't know do you <laughs> I, I don't i don't have one um i oh do uh wow so yeah this <laughs> this is like the podcast this is the crux right here uh as john hodgman might say like um yeah so we have to develop a challenge for ourselves every two weeks what's interesting mm-hmm. is is we're going to incorporate guests uh do we do we taylor i know you're sort of working on maybe scoring a guest is that still a little bit loose right now or you know, I reached out to a number of people. The main guy uh-huh. I was reaching out to hasn't gotten back to me. So uh-huh. I'm assuming that, I mean, we can do this like the um, the dogma way and, the, and like just warts and all, you know, lay claim to the next to figure it out here in front of the ears of our delightful audience. Or we can make a cut and come back when we actually have it. What do you prefer, Rob? Uh... Wow. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I think one of the things that's interesting about a guest, we, we were, Taylor and I were thinking in advance of all this, like it would be fun to have the guest shape the challenge, right? Because they, uh-huh. they'll bring a sort of set of uh, skills and thinking and creativity to the challenge in a way that Taylor and I won't. Um, but at the same time, like we have two weeks. So it's like one of those things where you're like, oh, if it takes three days then that's it's going to take us three more days and it would be great uh-huh. of course to tell you dear listeners like what the challenge is so you can sort of know what's up um can i throw I, out there that i'd like to do something yeah. dungeons and dragons oriented yes yeah 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 well what let, let's um shoot what let's just let's just let's just make up the challenge now and then we'll if we can find a guest that comes on board then great this is our first podcast we'll we're allowed to make mistakes so yeah, um yeah let's do it so uh uh dungeons and dragons oriented seems totally great um are you currently playing dungeons and dragons i i am <laughs> i'm doing something slightly more nerdy than what than playing dungeons and dragons and that is i am listening to a podcast about <laughs> dungeons and dragons <laughs> yeah you are 
<laughs> it's called nerd poker it's it's a podcast that ran i think for years or something there's a, a, about 150 something episodes and wow. i will admit, admit that i'm on about 48 which nice. means i've listened to 48 hours of other people playing dungeons and dragons uh but it's with brian Passane, uh who's a comedian and a, a bunch of other comedians and, and friends of theirs is he and the guy that was on the sarah silverman show he was yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like okay a, a heavy, i, I, I listened to guy. a bit of that yeah 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 um it's super entertaining you can get to it it used to be like earwolf.com and now it's um i think it's on howl.fm which is a sort of podcast consortium um i think it may cost five dollars a month now but i i was i will admit that i was listening to them and 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 squirreled them all away and fortunately i got lucky in that uh now it's behind a paywall but it's five bucks so you know come on People, people, five dollars is not a lot for uh, cough it up. One hundred and fifty hours of listening to people play Dungeons and Dragons. Well, we're talking to Mister Original BBS over here. Are you are you doing <laughs> penance for your? I your, think so. Your, your media sourcing ways. <laughs> I think so. I am still a, a sysadmin for the Body Hammer BBS. By the way, though the Body wow. Hammer BBS has not been online for about twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, wait. I mean, what what years are we talking about there? This was ninety. Keith Allison, who is a great friend of mine and uh, is an amazing uh, Asian cinema writer mm-hmm. uh, and wacky person in general, ran the Body Hammer BBS in Florida in 1993 or four, three, four, five, something like that. It was originally the Yodelin Yeti uh, BBS, <laughs> and then it became the the Body Hammer BBS. And um, tell me, tell me, you had a really great like ASCII. Um, sign on screen what were those even called like a splash you, screen you know it yeah that yeah right when your vt100 terminal or whatever fills up with characters right when you uh, log on listen to this dude yeah <laughs> i don't remember what it was but it was cool yodel and yeti was particularly cool because it was a yeti with i think musical notes coming out of his o and circle circled lips <laughs> yeah yeah so were these all just like totally crushed down because was this even before the mp3 file format oh yeah yeah, and Keith, I mean, to his credit, he the one like on a very, very, very limited college income, he ate ramen a lot in order to <laughs> afford another phone line just to run the BBS, um, yeah. and that's yeah. So it was, and I think we had like maybe two lines, so it was like only one or two people at a time could be online. But it actually got quite a bit of traffic, and the big thing at that time was like really just even gifts, like sixteen color gifts of like yeah. anime and. Other mm-hmm. stuff and like the anarchist cookbook in text files and stuff like that, but yeah, the I I remember very fondly some of the uh, ASCII images that I I gathered during that time. I um I remember getting a twenty six hundred magazine and finding some phone number in there, and I called and tried to log in as John Johnson with password John Johnson, <laughs> and in in my mind I remember this actually working. And then I got so freaked out, I had to like pull the phone cord out of the wall moment and hide under the bed. And that was the last, <laughs> it's the first and last hacking I ever did. That's awesome. Counter Reeve <laughs> shed a tear. Didn't know why at the time. <laughs> Dude, well, the uh, maybe you should reach out to Keith with our. I'm I'm feeling like something in the Dungeons and Dragons territory, and because um, there's all this like. You can get into Roll20.net and all that, and they do, 
I'm, I'm in a campaign with all my high school buddies now that we're all like investment bankers and whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's so we never really did the maps or the figurines. It was all just, you know, talking. But now you can get online and the character sheet's there and then it automatically calculates and rolls dice for you, which I don't know. Maybe that maybe that takes away from it a little bit. So So I could... I, maybe maybe some way of sort of bringing the physicality back to um, mm. a sort of virtual game. I don't know, man. I don't know if we'll be able to come up with it this second. What do you think? Can you can we make a hack? Can you do Let's it? Let's see. Well, there's there's certain obvious physical objects attached to D&D, which might be like a character sheet and dice, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen... Uh, like maker bot kind of folks make these like crazy dice rollers where it's like you put right. the dice in the top and I think a they dice kind of tower. T- yeah. Yes, a dice tower. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine at work has one that he made on our maker bot at work. Um, ooh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> what if it was a physical manifestation of? A character. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing mm-hmm. that out there. Like, like that could be in any form, either a character sheet or the physical character itself. That might be complicated, but could be cool. Um, well, I think that so. There's this issue of you know, once you start getting older, it's hard to put time into things like video games and Dungeons and Dragons and so forth. Yeah, like yeah. the like when with our campaign everyone's got a kid except for one guy and he's on the west coast you know living in san francisco and being a hedonist but um you know who knows how long that'll last but but we have to get together at this very specific hour and i think it's like the two hours that everyone can do but that only happens once a week (laughs) so you know it's sunday night we got dudes on the east coast and dudes on the west coast and like all these you know, people have to put their kids down at different times. It's very complicated. Yeah. And so I feel like sort of adjusting for age and reality, perhaps there would be some kind of thing. And this doesn't have to be physical, right? I mean, this could be a little, you know, piece of code we whip up or whatever. Mm-hmm. But perhaps something that acknowledges how modern D&D is played by old people with, with things to do. <laughs> <laughs> like speed is there there's probably like speed playing D D or something yeah like yeah. like a chess master yeah um, uh yeah i don't know what, i mean the only you, other thing that popped in my head was mm-hmm. making something out of the shapes of D dice sure yeah well i mean it's it's different our first challenge was very material oriented yeah yeah and so if you're comfortable this could just be it could just be Dungeons and Dragons as the starting point, or if you want to throw one more limiter on there, yeah, I mean, it could just, you know, it could be like the mathematical shapes of the dice is the starting place, or maybe we should just make dice. We could make dice? Dude. I Yeah, I'd say let's let's address the, because ro- rolling the dice, let's admit it, is the best part of Dungeons and Dragons. Am I right? It's true. It's true. When the was dice the last are... time you played Dungeons and Dragons, Rob? Uh... It's been a long time. <laughs> I was I was probably in 
Boy Scouts. I got yeah. see. I got into BattleTech, which was this other uh, role playing game because uh, yeah. my friends were into it, and that sort of derailed the Dungeons and Dragons thing. But I did have the Clerics and Druids uh, pewter set. But uh, um, Rotoculture. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's make dice. Yeah, whatever I that think. means. Whatever that means. Yeah. I really. Yeah. So, oh, this is great. See, man, we worked it out with the public ear. I'm so yes. tickled by the fact that. Like as long as we can get one person to listen to this, then I'll, then I I feel like I'm having a relationship, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's the mysterious. Power, the power of the it's voice. Yeah, yeah. Sorcery, magical. <laughs> magical. And also, we would get to come up with some intro music. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, it seems like it's it's actually kind of nice intro music, or like yeah, like brief musical interludes mm-hmm. of some sort. Yeah, it seems good. Is the, it works, is right? the 2001 song, is that just, is that open, open whatever? Maybe we, we could just open all of our shows with all the free Grateful Dead off archive.org. <laughs> that won't, <laughs> maybe that could be a, a challenge for us too. Sometime. Ah, we can make the music. Oh, man, we'll be at episode 150 before you know Wait, it, buddy. Before, that's right. <laughs> cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, man. I'm super psyched about doing this it's as an avid podcast listener i've been always wanting to figure out how to do something that people would think is cool and i think is cool it uh taylor you have been a friend of mine for geez like 15 or more years and Mm -hmm. so it's been it's super Mm -hmm. great to be going down this very weird road with you and uh yeah we're gonna make some dice Agreed. And yeah, it's, um, yeah, modern friendships in the modern era, uh, are hard work. Yeah, uh, they are. And when everyone's living in different places. So, um, not, and also, I mean, I think it's just going to be good for my mental health to have uh, a sort of an entirely new audience. So, so the first audience is you, you know, we want to impress one another with our weird solutions. Yeah. But I, I really like that idea of growing a community where, it's completely self-selected. So if this is something that interests you, you participate. And if you don't like it, then you just don't care. Totally. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and that's, that's an exciting way to, uh, yeah, it's energizing. I'm already, I'm already all, uh, um, uh, strategizing my dice. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. Lo- loosely defined. The thing I will do different now than I did before was I spent like four days trying to figure out what I was going to do. And then that puts you like four days behind doing the actual thing. Uh-huh, it's like, uh-huh. it's like just get in the shop and start cutting things and gluing Grind things together. Right? Yeah. It's been really nice to work those muscles because it's I'm not good at that. So, well, thank you, man. We'll, uh, we'll be posting a new episode in two weeks and hopefully you will tune in and invite other folks uh, to check us out. We are uh, the opposable thumbs podcast. We are at opposablepodcast.com. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh Take it easy. You're the best.